Welcome to NFP, the Non-Fungible Podcast, with your host, D. Klein. Hey, this is NFP, the Non-Fungible Podcast, with me, D. Klein. Today's episode is brought to you by the Koi Network. Koi makes minting NFTs super easy and inexpensive. Just drag and drop your file using their NFT wallet, Finny, and Koi takes care of the rest. Minting costs as little as one cent, so you can create as many NFTs as you want. And when they're viewed by other people, you even earn Koi tokens that you can use to fund your next series. Check it out at koii.network. Angie Taylor, thank you so much for joining me for NFP today. I'm so glad that you could be here with me for this. It's awesome. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for asking me. I love what you do, and I'm really honored to be a part of it. Thank you. Well, that's an honor that you would say that. You know, I, I've known about you in uh, circles, you know, like some, I don't know if it's Art Gallery Auction House where I've seen you chatting before. Have you been in that space with Daniel Pan and yeah. the gang there? You know, I think that's where I've seen you mostly where I've run into you. And, uh, you know, I'm like, oh, cool. It's the NFT artist, da, 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 da. And doing a little research about you, I'm like, whoa, 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 <laughs> wait a minute. <laughs> We're talking someone that's been innovating in the art space for decades right (laughs) i mean and you know you were one of the people a lot of people wouldn't necessarily know this who was a lead demonstrator of like when adobe would come out with their new you know after effects whatever software you were there showing okay this is the kind of stuff you can do with this right yeah i was their uh, lead demo artist for quite a few years in Mm -hmm. in the uk and in europe um so I, I started doing After Effects and Photoshop and Illustrator and bits and pieces of Premiere Pro and things. And then I did a few gigs for Apple as well when Final Cut came out, did their European right. tours. So, so, yeah, I mean, when, when people see you now, of course, you know, we might see your work on places like, say, Super Rare or Known Origin. Um, but they may not have the realization that like, wait, this goes way back, right? Like I'm looking at like wood sculptures you were making in like the eighties. I think it was in Jamaica, <laughs> I believe. Yeah. Right. You know, like uh, talk about how, cause I can still see that in your work today. Right. Yeah. Oh, I mean, that nice. had a huge impact on you. Right. And you're talking massive. 40 years. Yeah. And it's still, impact. you can still see it in your current work. That's so nice to hear. Um, yeah. I, I left school wanting to go to art college but I had a bit mm-hmm. of time between school and art college so I went to Jamaica because I, I just always wanted to go there a gap year type idea yeah so I was out there for about a year and I loved it I just uh, met this guy who was a wood carver and he taught me to wood carve um on a beach basically um and I'd just get up in the morning, grab a couple of mangoes off the tree, <laughs> grab a red stripe, roll a big spliff, go down to the beach and do wood carving. It was amazing. Um, you know, for an 18-year-old from Aberdeen who'd never been abroad. <laughs> I'd never been anywhere other than... That's quite the 18 years old hopping off to Jamaica. Like, this was with a group of people or what? No, it was just just went just... on my own. But my wow. I had family very out adventurous. there. I had family I out see. there, okay. though. Okay. So I met my family and stayed with them out there. I so, get it. Okay. Yeah. 
still, I mean, that's quite the uh, culture shock, I would imagine. Yeah, it, I, I knew quite a lot about Jamaica because my family were there, but and also I was really into reggae music and mm-hmm. um, I used to go to a lot of uh, sort of Afro-Caribbean clubs in Aberdeen because uh, at the university there's a lot of uh, overseas students, so they used to have a lot of clubs there for the students and punks couldn't get into many of the clubs in Aberdeen but we, we could get into their clubs you look um, like a pretty badass punk in some of those old photos I was looking at. yeah yeah <laughs> yeah so I, I got really into punk um I was pretty kind of a bit of an outcast as a kid sort of mm-hmm. weird looking and didn't really fit in and then punk came along and it was suddenly okay to not fit in and you felt like you'd find your place, you know, find your family. A bit like crypto art as well. Yeah. Yeah. It was really empowering and and really great art wise as well, because um before that, you know, you felt like you had to go to a design agency and work there if you wanted to be a an artist. Whereas with punk, it really opened up art to everyone. Like we were making fanzines and hand painting posters and things and making our own clothes. So it was very creative. Mm -hmm. Now, what do you suppose it is about kind of that, you know, naive art it's sometimes called or primitivism that was so appealing to you then? I mean, obviously it's connected to that punk element. Was it the fact that you felt like you didn't fit in and then there was kind of like embracing that in a sense? I I think partly, but I think it was also because it was easy to express myself quickly because because mm. I've got ADHD, I tend to get really excited about an idea, but then I have problems finishing it off. <laughs> so anything, you know, that involves a lot of processes and is very detailed, I get bogged down in it and I, I can kind of end up going off the idea and I end up with lots of half-finished projects that take <laughs> years know, though, Andrew, to finish. Like I've looked at some of your work and some of your tutorials. Those are not necessarily all very simple. Yeah, so but then they were... something happening there. Yeah, but I'll, I'll get on to that. So, the, I mean, the naive art stuff is great because I can do it and express myself quickly. And yes. I just love the look of it as well. I love the style of it and the look of it. I love being able to see the marks of the chisel in the wood mm-hmm. in a sculpture mm-hmm. and I try and do that with software I try and leave the marks of the software so you can actually see mm-hmm. the polygons and stuff yes and I like that I like that kind of almost unfinished brokenish kind of look so um I was cr- kind of trying to do with software what I used to do with wood but the mm. thing is, with the design, with the motion graphics stuff that I got into when I was working with Adobe and that, I felt like I wasn't really doing what was true to me then. I was trying to do what other people wanted me to do. I see. And figuring out techniques for other people. I'm really good mm-hmm. at figuring out how to do something. And I get really hyper-focused on trying to fix a problem or find out a solution for something. But once I've fi- figured it out, I kind of want to move on and I get bored. So in a way, the yeah. demo It's like a challenge a, that you've accomplished. And then it's like, okay, yeah. move on sort of idea. Yeah, but also it's a, I need constant stimulation. So if something's not stimulating enough, then 
I find it really hard to maintain an interest in it. So although being a demo artist was good in a way because that's what I was doing. I was figuring out solutions for people, showing people how to do things, how to find new ways of using the software. It was also not creatively satisfying for me because right. it wasn't really what I wanted to do. Sure. Sure. So, I mean, let's let we're moving all over the place in the timeline here. We're going from Jamaica in the eighties to VR sculptures, right? <laughs> and I'm picturing you with like the Oculus, you know, on your face there. And how long HTC. has that been experience? Oh, the HTC Vive. Nice. Okay. <laughs> okay. I didn't know which one. <laughs> I actually, you know, um, I'm, Ooh, I, I talked. <laughs> 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 oh, I talked last year um, with uh, Miss Al Simpson about getting an Oculus and she was like, you should get one, you should get one. And she bought a piece of art off me and it was so kind. And it was like about the value of an Oculus. And she was like, here, now you can get your Oculus. I'm like, that's so Oh, sweet. that's so nice. So sweet, right? Um, and I was looking into it and I was like, you need a Facebook account, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, what is that? <laughs> Exactly. Why do you think I use HTC? <laughs> okay. So now apparently the next Oculus is not going to require a Facebook account, a sign in or login or something like that. Uh, I did upgrade my computer because that was the other problem. My computer, if I wanted to do anything more advanced with the VR stuff, you need a pretty good computer and yeah. I a pretty terrible computer. So I've upgraded the computer. It's good to go. Um, now you're saying you've got the HTC Vive. Like, when it comes to like the VR software that you're using for creating then time and time again, when I talk to people, it's mostly with the Oculus and they're mostly using a couple of very popular apps in the Oculus. I think it's called tilt brush. I think is one of the most popular ones. Yeah. I could be wrong. Yeah. Uh, what are you using on HT with the HTC then? Yeah. I, I use tilt brush sometimes for sketching. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's usually more, um, uh, gravity sketch and oh so tilt brush is not like a proprietary like oculus thing i thought it was one of those Ocul oculus you know no things okay no you can it's on steam so you can use it on any uh, okay i didn't realize that all right <clears throat> um it shows yeah, my so naivety when it comes to vr i don't really know a lot about it but let's go ahead. it is confusing i mean it is mm -hmm. confusing because some apps are specific to one platform but uh tilt brush Actually, Tilt Brush is no longer being supported by Google, so it's now called Open Brush. So okay. other developers are developing it. There's an artist called VR Rosie on Twitter who okay. is involved in the development, so she's a good person to follow if you're interested in following mm -hmm. the development of it. VR Rosie, you said. VR Rosie, yeah. Let me check that um, out. VR is it just R O S I E kind of thing? Yeah. Yeah, I got it. Rosie Summers. Yeah. And then, um, <clears throat> but I use Gravity Sketch and Masterpiece VR mainly. Um, okay. So Gravity Sketch is sort of polygon-based modeling, um, mm -hmm. whereas Masterpiece VR is voxel modeling. Okay. So I, I use different ones depending on what look I kind of want. If I want something very mm -hmm. angular and kind of metallic looking, then I'll tend to go for gravity sketch and use the polygon modeling there mm -hmm. so say something um, like joan of arc on super rare super super cool that was gravity what sketch. are you using sorry that was using gravity sketch gravity sketch yeah 
So talk to me about that process. What's involved in, in your <clears throat> thoughts building this? I mean, obviously, Joan of Arc resonates with you often talk about connecting with people who didn't, you know, fit the profile of how they should be in society, right? You know, yeah. so clearly there's that connection there. Can, can you talk about the process in building this piece? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I partly, I'd always wanted to do a sculpture of Joan of Arc because, you know, basically she was burnt at the stake for wearing men's clothes. Mm. <clears throat> so, you know, I like to champion anyone who's kind of oppressed, and she definitely was. Um, mm -hmm. But also because I, it was for Kadaf, which was in Paris, so I really wanted to do a piece that was, you know, something to do with ha having a French theme. And um, yeah, so when I made it, I kind of, I don't do any sketches. I just sketch in 3D. Mm -hmm. So I kind of have an idea in my head of who, who I'm sculpting and what I want it to be about and how I want it to feel. And I, I start by using what are called hulls, which are kind of blocks that you can pull out uh, using the the um, controller so mm -hmm. instead of like just creating individual polygons you're just kind of pulling out a kind of blobby shape okay but it's quite um, a geometric shape it's quite angular and what I tend to do is I build a series of them together in a kind of sketchy way just to get the rough um, kind of angles of the person Right. And then in the great thing about gravity sketches, you can then make these editable. So then you can actually make make it into editable polygons and start pulling things about and just perfecting them a little bit more. Uh -huh. um, yeah. And then what I do is it, quite a convoluted process, actually. It looks <laughs> much simpler than it is. So. Once I've finished working gravity sketch and I've got the feel of the piece, I did the fire and the stake and everything. Then I take it onto my iPad and I use Nomad Sculpt. And Nomad mm. Sculpt allows me to make it slightly more organic looking and um, okay. eas easier than gravity sketch does. You could make it look organic in gravity sketch, but it'd be a bit of a pain. Whereas um, Nomad Sculpt allows me to literally get a, sort of liquidy brush and pull bits around and make them more organic so things like the flames right. curling around and things I wanted it to look like the flames were moving around our body mm -hmm. so I used uh, Nomad Sculpt to do that then it comes out of Nomad Sculpt usually into Cinema 4D or Blender where I'd, I um, usually work on materials but I've started actually painting my sculptures in Nomad Sculpt and also Procreate now. So mm -hmm. that workflow is changing a little bit at the moment. Yeah, that's cool how in Procreate now you can paint on 3D models, right? It's great. Yeah, really good yeah, with yeah. all those brushes and things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I'm, I'm basically 100% Procreate anything I make. Yeah. I, I got to get into the 3D stuff, but, you know, it's a little daunting. Well, you can always just download a model and paint a mm -hmm. model. So rather right. than I have to build it, just go onto Sketchfab and find a model that you like. Mm -hmm. And I would go for something simple to start mm -hmm. with. You know, you don't want to choose, I don't know, Starship Enterprise or something like that. You want to start with something, you know, fairly straightforward. Even something like a car and just give it a custom paint job or something and procreate. Right. 
that do something fun. fun that you, you know it, it's just an experiment kind of thing mm-hmm. you can feel like you're vandalizing something and yeah in a virtual world right yeah <laughs> with no negative consequence yeah <laughs> but i very much feel like i'm still developing this technique i don't feel like And it's going in two directions at the moment, which is quite interesting. So I have my really angular kind of, I would say more primitive, like naive art style. But I'm also doing stuff that's more like cartoony kind of Mm -hmm. 3D style. And that's another... For example, something like Do a Runner or something like that would be more cartoony. Is that what you mean? It's kind of in between. It's got a yeah, bit it of is. both. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I suppose more like, um, have you s- seen my stuff on Known Origin? Yes. Yeah. There's uh, Mizaru, the mm. 3- 3D uh, yeah. one. Okay. In the animated sculptures. Yes. Okay. Yeah. That's more the cartoony kind of stuff. You have style. some awesome little collections on Known Origin. So cool. So cool. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, and the uh, Divine. I- and Divine and Susie and Grace Jones. I ca- kind of count yes. them, the icons are kind of more that cartoony style as well. Right, right, right. Okay. But I'm, so I'm hey, also... talk, talk to me about the Grace Jones piece a minute, because reading mm. up about it, you said in your comments here about it, that you burned the original piece because it had been ruined by trolls. I don't know this story. Mm. So I put, I put up a piece. Uh-huh. And I wasn't, you know, when you're not 100% happy with something, but you can't really figure out why. Yes. And you All think... All the time. I've taken... <laughs> And I thought, I've taken it as far as I can. I'm going to mint it. And I minted it. But there was a nagging doubt in the back of my head. And then I went Uh-oh. on Twitter and some fucking troll had gone on and just basically slated it, saying it was ugly and how dare I think this represented Grace Jones and da-da-da-da-da. Mm-hmm. And it really brought back all this, like, I was bullied at school and people used to... Mm-hmm. I was good at art, so my art was quite often up on the walls, but people would write horrible things about me on the art like they used to call me like mongol at school Mm. because i was you know obviously had asperger's and was a bit different and it took me back to that i just felt like someone had written on my art again and it really hit me emotionally and i thought how could how can i react to this and i thought do you know what i i'm not happy with it anyway so i'm gonna burn it and then i'm gonna take it away and address all the things that I wasn't sure about and just take time to figure out what they are. So I did that and then came back and I was happy with it and I put it back up there. And so I made it more glitchy. When you came back to it, what is it about it that you changed that made you feel happy about it? I made it more glitchy. I, okay. I thought it needs to have a kind of edge to it. It was too smooth. Like a texture. And, yeah. But also the glitchiness, I think, was a fuck you as well. Mm-hmm. It was like, you know, I'm I'm trying to make, I was, in a way, I was trying to make it too real. I see what you mean. And I wanted to make it more kind of punky and glitchy and attitude-y. Mm. So I really that's... connect with those notions and how they fit together. I don't know if you know that about my art, but it's I focus I a lot on concepts I love your of art. corruption. Oh, thank you. That's that's awesome to hear that from you. The concepts of like corruption, but how that can also be beautiful, right? Like how brokenness. There's still beauty, you know, in that brokenness, right? And Absolutely. so often we kind of hide our eyes from it. 
rather than embracing it, right? Yeah, and I think people don't look hard enough at ugly things to see the beauty in them. Mm. I, 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 one of the things I always do is if I see something that I don't like, I start questioning why I don't like it. Mm. And I try and find ways to see if I can switch that around. And what's really interesting is, so if I do it, I do it with music as well. If I hear some music that's difficult to listen to and I don't really like, I think, why don't I like that? And what is it I don't like? And quite often when I keep listening to it, I end up really, really liking it. Totally. And that yeah. that music becomes music that I can listen to over and over again and I never get fed up with. Whereas the stuff that's easy to like, I get bored of it really easily. That's and why, like, for me, sorry, I'm interrupting you. Go ahead. No, it's it's fine. I, mean, I just, think, like, when you when you mention music, immediately I think of Tom York and Radiohead. Yeah. And how when you first hear the song, it's the dissonance and the corruptive kind of elements of the chords and the kind of the chaotic elements that overpower things like the melody and, you know, the where you become more familiar with the song and you notice, like, what the how do you say it the what the what the message of the song is wh where the song is going but then when you hear it more often those things are what make it richer they're the things that are like whoa this is such an awesome song right like i still remember i don't know if you've ever seen that netflix show anima i think it's is that correct no, um the one that. of tom york uh i'm gonna look up the name of it a second i can is it anima i don't forget i, I mean i don't remember um let me look tom york yeah, Anima is the name of the album, and uh, it's a the Netflix video of it is it's it's awesome. If you've never seen it, here I'll, I'll give watch you a link. it. Yeah, I'll watch it. If um, <clears throat> it's beautiful. yeah, I love discordant music. Like, um, do you know Aladdin Sane, David Bowie? The I know David Bowie. Oh, I don't. What was? Uh, what did you say though? I Aladdin Sane is the name of the album. It's one of my favorite Bowie albums, but I mean, I've got loads of favorite Bowie albums, but Aladdin Sane, the single or the song, mm, mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. has the best piano solo I've ever heard. And it's so you know, discordant. I haven't listened to that album in its entirety. I don't know if I've ever listened. I'm going to have to, yeah. I'm a little embarrassed to say that because I mean, I've listened to lots of David Bowie, but I don't There's know if so I've ever many sat and listened to that whole album. It's a great album. It's it's okay. really quite unusual album, but the piano solo, um, I forget the name of the guy that played the piano. Mm -hmm. oh, sorry, I can't remember his name, but it's, okay. um, it's amazing. It's just really discordant and really like he hits bum notes, but deliberately. And it just it's just fantastic. It's an amazing solo. I'll have to check it out. I'll have to. Is it Mike something or? I'm I'm just kind of browsing through the description of it. Um, Mike Gerson. That's it. I thought I knew yeah. it was Mike something. There now you can relax. That's I I hate that feeling of not knowing. <laughs> something. I it's funny you know I was saying this to my wife the other day you know it used to be years ago you know we'd visit friends and you know some conversation would come up be like who was that again what was that blah blah blah. You know, and I remember they had uh, old encyclopedia collection along the wall because this is before internet. Okay. Yeah, Encyclopedia right. Britannica. Yeah, it? yeah, yeah. And you'd go over and look in the encyclopedia, and if it wasn't in the encyclopedia, 
you're like, well, I guess we just don't know. And you just move on, right? Yeah. <laughs> or go Whereas now, Yeah. Whereas now, if you're like, I wonder, well, well, who was that? What was that? I mean, within seconds, you can just type it in somewhere and poof, there's your information, right? And how much has that changed culture, right? Oh, like I, I, now there's no peace in not knowing something. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, when I think about when I was at art college, having to sit in the library, going through books, you know, studying, trying to see as much art as you could. So, you know, the only way was to go to galleries or go to libraries and read books. So you were just, you know, what you saw was dependent on what other people had chosen for you to see, really. Whereas now sure. you can Knowledge see Knowledge was like completely curated. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that has its good and its bad sides, of course, right? Like when you look at how much misinformation is flying around now, it's, that's a problem too. Yeah, absolutely. Because there wasn't like a knockoff Encyclopedia Britannica with all the wrong information <laughs> yeah, for, yeah. Every, for everybody to look up. <laughs> Whatever wrong means, you know, that's a whole other debate. Yeah. Hey, in cooperation with the Coin Network, I am presenting Atomic Zombies by D. Klein. You can find these at atomiczombies.io. We've got 10,000 zombies that will eventually be available, each with their own set of random generative characteristics. You can watch your zombies' characteristics unlock, emerge, and evolve as they receive more attention online powered by the Coin Network and proof of real traffic. Check it out at atomiczombies.io. <laughs> you know, though, I've, maybe back to your art. I'm looking at, you clearly, clearly have a lot of work that's kind of your VR 3D, but then you also have like a lot of like illustrative work. Now, where does that fit into the timeline? Yeah, a lot of that was done. So when, sort of before I got into digital arts, when mm -hmm. I was like punk, um, doing fanzines and doing record sleeve art. Um, mm -hmm. I, I used to do a lot of ink, ink work, just ink cartoons. I was really influenced by um, like people like Tom Finland, Robert Crumb, um, the old Mad magazines, um, comics. Like there was loads of comics that I used to read as a kid. Ur mm -hmm. Willie was a Scottish comic that I read. Um, so a lot of my sort of punk illustrations are kind of influenced by those early kind of cartoons, but with a kind of punk side to them as well. And most of them were illustrations for, for fanzines, like punk fanzines or flyers for clubs, things like that. So I chose a few of them and minted them when I started. They didn't really do that well so I, I haven't really done anymore but I've got a load of them somewhere so I might sort of bring some more of those out at some point oh you should <laughs> you should you have just a couple of them on known or not that I'm here to tell you what to do <laughs> you have a couple of them on known origin the original 80s fanzine illustrations yeah and there's some on super rare as well I think right 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 and some on open sea uh-huh okay and so with these creations, like, for example, cleanup, where you have yeah. this punk character basically doing like janitorial work or whatever, smoking. Yeah. 
like this comes from that time years ago then you drew this yeah i drew that i think i drew that in the 80s um Mm -hmm. originally this is like a redraw of it sort of yeah i kind of re i you know rescanned it and inked it touched Mm -hmm. it up um uh in procreate i think it was yep uh it says resized and digitally reworked in photoshop Ah, Photoshop. That was, yeah. <laughs> I'm reading the description right now. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Talk to me about like, what is it that motivates or inspires you to create this particular, like in this case, you know, what was, what were you thinking of as you created this piece? Um, I can't remember. Can you read the description for me? <laughs> sure. The description says she was sick of being undervalued, sick oh, yeah. of being pushed around, of being judged, put into a hole, not allowed to prosper. So with mop in hand, she wiped the tired old art off the walls and invited her friends to shake things up. Come on, girls, let's clean up in here. She yelled with renewed optimism and unshakable <laughs> vigor. There you go. So yeah, I think that was actually when I we started doing Walker, Women of Crypto Art, because I mm. kind of got, got involved in crypto art, but very quickly saw that um, myself and other women that were creating art were just really struggling to sell things. And when we did, not getting the prices that mm. the equivalent, like some some of the artists that have been here for years like Giselle for example and Sparrow I would have expected them to be selling for the same price as some of the guys that have been around for the same amount of time doing a kind of what I see as a kind of equivalent type of work like comparative anyway yeah sure yeah but they were getting a lot less and selling a lot less and and also I was hearing a lot of women say that they didn't feel confident about posting stuff because I was saying why don't you do this why don't you do that they were like oh I don't feel confident or I'm worried about getting trolled or and I thought god there's a real problem um Mm. and I didn't I really wanted crypto art to avoid the same issues that the traditional art establishment has and I could see it it happening seems like it no it hasn't it's a shame but so Basically, there was a bunch of us doing a chat group and we decided to start Women of Crypto Art just to basically just to give women a leg up and give them a bit of support to be there if they felt like they wanted to talk to anyone or get advice. Um, And just just to kind of try and redress the balance a little bit. So um, I think I made that piece at the beginning when I was feeling those things quite strongly that I wanted to kind of encourage women to go right and to do something a little bit more controversial I think there's very few women that do really controversial in your face art Mm. and I wanted to say you don't have to do art that pleases people you can do art that just goes fuck you or says something confrontational about the situation like Stella Bell does, for example. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, if if you're pissed off that women aren't selling, make a piece of art about it. That's what I was trying to say with that piece, I think. I see. And clean up is a pun because, you know, it could mean clean up as in cleaning up the mess you've made or it could mean clean up as in we're making all the money. 
<laughs> cleaning up in here. I don't know if mm -hmm. that's a... she was she was uh, making it rain when she said that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if clean up is that used. Is I don't know if it's just no, a no, British yeah. When you term. clean up, no, absolutely, hundred yeah. okay. percent. No, I, yeah. well, I'm Canadian. A lot of Canadians uh, do use yeah. British expressions, you know. But I'm pretty sure that Americans would say that as well. Like, well, I really cleaned up on this. Blah blah blah. Yeah. Yeah. I don't yeah. think that's strictly a UK type thing. To which part of Canada about, are you from? I'm in Western Canada in Alberta. Ah, I worked yeah. in Ottawa in, yeah. for a while. Oh, did you? Really? Yeah. What were you doing? And there? when the f I was working for a company called Gridiron Software, and I mm. was there for a couple of years. And the first time I went to Ottawa, I thought, oh, I'll look up, you know, a Lonely Planet guide or something, find out what it's like. And I opened it up and it said, Ottawa, the streets are wide and the people are friendly. <laughs> that was about it. I'm going and, to Ottawa. <laughs> and I went there and that was about it. The streets are wide are and the people are friendly. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Yeah. So how long were you in Ottawa then? <laughs> On and off. Well, it was over the duration of two years, but I was only there okay. for, you know, two or three weeks every six months kind of thing. I was working, I you know, I was doing their European work. Mm, okay. So you never really set up base then in Ottawa per se? No, just kind of so. spent time there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. interesting. But I've got so a lot in of terms Canadian of Canadian friends. I'm sorry, I, I talked over top of you there. I was just, no, I was just saying I've got a lot of Canadian friends. I get on mm. well with Canucks. <laughs> Canucks. <laughs> now, I don't necessarily have that, you know, you know, typical Canadian accent that you've probably heard, you know, with words like, say, house. A boot. Going, going out. And <laughs> yeah, about. Yeah. There's a moose in my house. You know? <laughs> uh, because that's that's more of an Eastern Canadian thing. Uh, yeah, you're just uh, more of a Seattle-y kind of Vancouver-y kind of. Is it Are you that... lumping Albertans in with Vancouverites and Seattle? Oh, sorry. Seattle people? I don't know. Sorry. I don't know. A lot of Albertans would take exception to that. <laughs> well, it was more of a question. <laughs> Is it more that towards that area? It would be closer. It would okay. be closer to that. Yes, that is a fair point. And I actually did live just outside Vancouver for a number of years, but I don't think it altered my accent at all. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. Um, no, we, uh, we moved out there back when I began teaching. I moved out uh, near Vancouver simply because at that time, the economy in Alberta, Alberta's a boom bust economy. All right. Like because it's based on oil and gas. When oil and gas go up, Alberta's like, hooray. <laughs> right. And when Alberta and gas, I mean, when oil and gas go down, Alberta is not a happy place. It's like um, Aberdeen, where I'm from, it's oil right? town as well. Yeah. Okay. So it makes for an interesting uh, economic climate, right? It's interesting because as oil and gas go up, it's a positive in the Alberta economy, but it also means you get brutal utility bills, high prices for driving anywhere. And so there's this kind of bittersweet feeling here when it does go up in price, because it's obviously good for the general economy, good for jobs. But not so great for your average, average Joe, average right. schmuck that's just trying to, you know, pay the bills. So it's an interesting situation. You you mm. were you said you lived in an oil town. 
Yeah, Aberdeen. Aberdeen is the kind of oil capital of the UK. That's okay. where all the all the rigs are in the North Sea are kind mm-hmm. of serviced by Aberdeen. So when I was a kid, it was huge, like, you know, uh, oil. It, it kind of exploded, you know, in the 70s. Um, but it's it's kind of really a lot of the rigs have been closed down now. So Aberdeen's a bit of a ghost town these days. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, when we look at, you know, and all this work through the years in art, like in terms of where you are now, like what's really clicking for you now in your creative process? Um, I'm really loving using my iPad for 3D, actually. I mm-hmm. love the portability of it. Um, I still love VR for um, getting the initial feel of the piece, but for adding detail and finishing, I'm really enjoying the iPad. So that that is my process that I really love now is the combination of starting the, starting the big sketching in mm-hmm. VR and then taking that model and finessing it in Nomad Sculpt and Procreate is really what's exciting for me at the moment. Uh, And I suppose the debate I have with myself is that between the kind of the more primitive quick stuff Mm -hmm. or the really heavily detailed stuff, like the the cartoony stuff is much more detailed in terms of the 3D workflow, I guess. Sure. And I enjoy both. But they're both very, I suppose they're different aspects of me. So they're both really valid. But there's part of me that always thinks, oh, you should only focus on one thing. Mm. So I, I don't know whether that's something that I'll just continue doing both or whether I'll go more down one route than the other. I don't really know. Mm. Time will I hear you. I, I'm currently in a phase where I'm like, I'm only doing simple stuff. I'm only doing stuff where it's like, it's just fun to make and it's spontaneous and then I can be satisfied with it. And, you know, often they take 10 minutes to half an hour, maybe an hour, Wow. you know, and then I'm like, okay, I'm happy with that. Right. But um, then other times I'm going to do something more detailed, but you have to be in the right state of mind for that. Right. Like, otherwise, you know, to me, it's like, okay, if I'm not enjoying this, why am I doing this? Yeah. uh, Well, uh, the sculpture that I'm working on at the moment, I've been working on for like three weeks now. And That's a lot but I love it. I mean, mm-hmm. I've got and it's re it is detailed. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I think, oh no, I've got my like because it's it's an epic, it's quite an epic piece compared to what I've done so far. Mm-hmm. Um, it's much more complex. And sometimes when I start working on it, I think, oh no, I've taken this too far. Now I'm gonna have to do the whole thing, the same level of detail it's gonna take forever, kind of thing. And I should have done it more simply, but and just got something out really quickly and expressively. Mm-hmm. But I'm actually quite enjoying pushing myself. And when I actually, like, sometimes I look at it and I think, oh God, I've got to do, you know, I've got to do, get the hands right today, for example. Right. And it seems like a huge task, but actually once I sit down and once I get in there and I start modeling, I start pushing and pulling bits of, pixels around i get completely Mm. lost in it and i love it i really enjoy it Mm. 
do you like lose like i lose track of time when i'm doing yeah this i stuff. lose hours hours and i end up with um like this week i ended up half my body just froze because i'd been sitting in the same position <laughs> on my <laughs> ipad tweaking pixels the next day i'm like holy shit why like, is oh, my neck so sore yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, I'm glad I'm not the only one. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing is certain subjects lend really easily to one style and others. Yeah. Sure. Like that the um kind of primitive stuff tends to be a fleeting feeling that I want to express, whereas the more complex ones tend to be a more complex subject, which sure. is a bit more difficult to express using those simple techniques. Mm-hmm. All ever thought revealed. of doing some kind of like primitive i don't know i'm imagining is there a way to blend those two like well i kind, kind of, of vr setting I kind of do a bit mm-hmm. i think i think the the mizaru one is a kind of mm-hmm. or the mm-hmm. do a runner is a kind of blend of the two yeah, um, yeah, I but that that's really complex as well because that involved uh, motion capture and animation and everything. So that's the other thing: do I do do I add motion or do I just do a sculpture that hasn't got any motion? And do I mint it as a three D model? Do I mint it as a video? Do I just do it as an image? There's so many decisions to make for each piece that um, it can be quite tricky. Are these usually when you do them as videos, are they just MP4s or are they? They're usually MP4s, but I'm yeah, yeah, going to yeah. start just doing GIFs, I think, because I get really pissed off with the crappy looping on these sites. That's the thing. I tend to be drawn toward GIFs, GIFs, whatever you want to call them, because of the mm. fact that they seem to be more consistent when you present them. MP4s, like they're really frustrating, especially minting them on see you minted on say i don't know open sea or known origin or whatever they'll show differently depending upon yeah where you mint them right yeah it depends on the buffer settings and the compression settings and all that so you can't be guaranteed that it will play without a pause like most of mine were perfect they didn't mm-hmm, pause mm-hmm. and then i'd mint them and there'd be a pause and i'd be like ah and you don't want to burn and it's after it just... you've minted it yeah <laughs> like it's all because you don't see it deal. you don't get a preview so you don't know if it's going to pause until you've minted it the ones on known origin like i'm looking at the mizaru one and i mean it's pretty much i it's i can't really i mean if i'm watching the time i'm going okay 10 11 12 okay that's where it starts over but so it's that's... really clean loop actually that's why I started minting more on known origin and less on super rare because okay. there's less there's less of an issue with the video looping on known origin. And they were so really HTC helpful. Vive, known origin. These are your <laughs> you're endorsing these. <laughs> and data. <laughs> ah, okay. Excellent. <laughs> So uh, did you see there was that newer article about Rob Ness with the trash art, selling trash art, you know? And I'm like, we've known about this for years, everybody. Come on. Yeah, I, I find that interesting how, you know, people will talk about it like it's this new thing. Which article was that? Uh, there was one just about a week ago about Rob Ness, about him selling uh, trash art for, I forget how much it was, $250,000 or something like that. Um, 
as it's interesting how like well you're a great example because i knew of your contemporary work but it wasn't until i dug into things a little that i'm like wait a minute this is not a new thing like you you've been doing this stuff for years right you know and i think often your first impression is this is just coming out of the blue with a lot of these things right yeah i guess i suppose because trash art's been around for what a couple of years now but i suppose mm -hmm. people that are new phenomenon i guess I guess, and I suppose because maybe because they were kicked off super rare for a while, weren't they? So maybe people coming into the space didn't see them until they came back on super rare or something. I don't know. That was a nice but, resolution to that story, I thought. Yeah, yeah. I did a um, Twitter spaces with Rob Ness last night, which was nice. What did you? Yeah, okay. yeah. I haven't spoken with him directly in a while. Yeah, I mean, I... I I really like the whole trash art thing. I think it's great. And I really respect that tradition of um, like from the situationists and Dadaists of, of kind of just ripping up the whole rules and starting afresh and, you know, a bit of piss taking thrown in as well. <laughs> it, well, it's it kind of the punk me, movement in crypto art, right? It, it's kind of more, I don't think it's really like, well, there's a lot of debate about this, but when okay. punk started, like 75, 76, it was really about people wanting to do what they weren't allowed to do. Mm. But they wanted to do it as well as they could. Mm. They didn't want to do it crappily. They just weren't very good at it. So it took <laughs> them a while to get good at it. Mm -hmm. Whereas a lot of people think that punks deliberately didn't do things well, and that's not the case. It was just the case that they were new to it, so that's why they weren't very good at it. Whereas Oi, which was a kind of sub-genre of punk that came probably about 77, 78, it was really about saying, this is an aesthetic we like, and we think it's important to keep that kind of rawness Mm -hmm. of of when you're inexperienced and they didn't like the fact that the original punks were then getting good at playing their instruments and were starting to get more into goth and doing like post-punk kind of music right more polished um, in a sense yeah so they were sort of trying to keep it back being raw and being really working class and rebellious mm -hmm. and angry and and primitive so I kind of see trash art more like oi. It's that like keeping it real kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Not so That's much awesome. like original punk. But then I think most people think of right. punk as that kind of thing anyway. Yeah, I, I know I, I have. So it's very interesting to hear that. Yeah. But That's, that's cool. from a British perspective. I don't know. It might have been different in Canada. I was like in I was the like States. Five, six years old. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, I wasn't really following the movement, to be fair. <laughs> I, I remember listening at that age to like the Beatles and like maybe a few years later to like ABBA. Yeah. But yeah, punk wasn't really a scene that I was into when I was little, honestly. No, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I suppose most people don't even think of punk as having subgenres, but. Right. No, it's kind of a blanket kind of definition of the entire broader category yeah speaking of punk though i found it really interesting you had a post uh about an async art 
series, a blueprint series that was 77 Portraits of the Queen. Yeah. (laughs) These are awesome. They're amazing, aren't they? Yeah. Tell me about this. You have a number of them. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I I fucked up a little bit with that. So what happened? (laughs) Yeah. So a friend of mine. I look here, you have like nine of them, I think. I think I've got more than more. More. Oh, I yeah. see your name's coming up all over the place in here. Yeah. Okay, I, I just looked at the 15. first nine. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Okay. Sorry. So go on. I'm, I interrupted I, your story. I've been, called the, I've been called the punk whale because of it. <laughs> <laughs> you single-handedly. <laughs> yeah. So what happened was a friend of mine sent me one as a gift. Okay. And I, I was blown away and absolutely loved it. Mm-hmm. And I thought, Oh, I've got to get another couple of these because I I just love them. And I really like Stray's art anyway. So I went on there and I noticed that there were only, I think there were 17 left. <laughs> and I thought there's 77 of these and 77 was a really pivotal year of punk. That's why it was mm-hmm. 77. So I thought I really want to have number 77. And I thought uh... the only way that I can be sure of doing it is to buy the rest. Mint the rest. So I minted them thinking I'll sell them afterwards. But then when I got them, I realized that the numbering starts at zero. So the highest number was 76, not 77. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) So I I never got 77, even though I bought them all. But I've got 76, (laughs) which was actually a more important year for punk anyway. But I'm going to keep keep a few of them and sell a few of them, I think. So it worked out. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And um, yeah, the artist, for those who don't know, is Stray. Um, well, if you look at their uh, Twitter uh, handle, it's at Stray LTD Limited, I guess. So, yeah. Yeah. They're, they're all I, I, from... I really like this Blueprints. Uh, I got to try it. I am actually on Async and I've yet to put my Genesis on there, but maybe I'll just go straight to a Blueprints thing. That'd be fun to try. Have you yeah, dabbled with that I... at all? No, I'm not sure about doing blueprints or PFPs. I mean, they are like PFPs, really. It is. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't um, have to be. It just doesn't really fit with my practice, I suppose, as an artist. It doesn't really... I feel like I would be doing it just to make money. Mm, I hear you. It's not something that I feel works for how I make my art and what I want to communicate with my art Mm -hmm. because every piece of mine says something really important and I kind of feel if I did that little it would just be generic nothing saying nothing I don't know Mm -hmm. I don't know I it just is there a way to reconcile those two because if there were you could make a really interesting series yeah I think Stella Bell's done a really great job Mm-hmm. You know, hers, what she's doing is like recording the history of crypto art and kind of highlighting injustices and um, gifting people who deserve to be celebrated. She's doing so many good things with her project. Mm-hmm. And I think it's an incredible endeavor. But I, I just don't think I have it in me to do that. I just don't think I'd be able to maintain the attention needed to, <laughs> to, to keep 
keep focused on that one project i wouldn't be able to do it and i wouldn't want to let people down so well there's an element of tedium to it right there's an element of looking at it going okay do i even want to start this because there's going to be a lot of parts of it that i kind of feel like i have to do but i'm not necessarily enjoying what i'm doing in that yeah and also i think people expect a certain amount of utility from these projects right that I don't think I'm interested in providing or capable mm-hmm. of providing. So I don't want Let's to talk about that whole utility kind of thing. Cause you know, I've often said, Hey, you know, the utility is the art, like that's yeah. the utility. Right. And for some people that's enough. For some people that's not enough. What do you think of this whole phenomenon now? Like, cause it has affected the market. Like a lot of money is now going towards these PFPs and people going, oh, what's what's the utility of this NFT I'm buying, as opposed to just buying something they like. Yeah, I mean, I think there's space for both. I think mm-hmm. I think it has gone crazy, but I think it will level out. And I don't think I don't think the number of PFP projects that's out at the moment will be sustained. There'll be maybe mm-hmm. a few that carry on. Um and people will start losing money by making them and then they'll stop making them and then there'll still be the odd brilliant one that will come out sure. um but it will become sort of it will level out i think um and i think there's room for both um i really like collectibles but as a separate thing to my art mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it's weird that they're both in this space together because when i was a kid i collected things and i had my art and they were both completely separate things. I Whereas see. I think that's what the problem is. It's like they're they're in this shared space. But at some point, people are going to be selling houses with NFTs or selling cars using NFTs or, you know, so everything's going to be m- m- messed together. And it's more about mm-hmm. trying to figure out a way of separating the NFT space into different areas, I think. Mm. Well, it's, I think, it's young, right? Part of it, I don't think, isn't that what it is? Yeah, it's young. So everyone's trying to lump everything together. There's only so sure. many platforms and places. Well, it's like you things... mentioned punk being seen as one broad category, but in reality, there were all these, you know, elements within it. Is it sort of like yeah. that in a sense? Yeah. Yeah, and I see, I, um, I can see... I mean, I totally get the collectible thing. I've collected a few collectibles, part mainly because I'm not earning enough money as an artist to survive, and I've gone full-time mm. NFTs. So if I don't buy collectibles, I can't afford to stay as full-time artist. So I've been buying a few collectibles here and there and then flipping a few, keeping a few. Some of the ones that I've held have ended up going up in value, mm-hmm. and that's making more money for me than my art so what so are your I recent ca- winners i'm curious um x copy <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> um nft boxes was really good so i did that mm-hmm. for a year and every month you would get and i like that because it's what i call a hybrid project it's got the kind of side of collectibles where you don't know what you're getting and it's really exciting and things sure. are revealed every month but it's real art by real artists. So, you know, mm-hmm. you, the like you got, I've got X copies, Joys, Coldies, Miss Al Simpson, Lulu's. I was in it as well. Giselle, like lots of Power big houses. name art. Yeah, lots of big name artists. 
I think, did you have a piece in it? I'm embarrassed to say I don't remember. <laughs> I thought you did. I'm not sure. I might have. I'd have Rob to look Ness. it up. There was a Rob Ness piece in it as well. So, it, and I'd it was to, really nice because it was it like. I feel like maybe I, I'm not sure. Yeah, it was good because it was a way of people that were new to NFTs to collect big names without mm-hmm. having a mm-hmm. big outlay of cost. So every month you would buy a box not knowing what was in it. And, you know, some things I, went I up. I feel familiar some things... with this, but it's not clicking in my memory. Pranksy. Mm-hmm. Pranksy yeah. curates it. So you kind of know that Pranksy's pretty good at choosing good sure. projects. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. yeah. And, and there were honestly, ex- I can't say for sure if I actually was a part of it or not. There were X copies in one of the boxes and they've gone way up. I mean, you paid mm-hmm. 0.65F for a box and you got mm-hmm. 10 pieces of art. And a sandbox item in each box. Now, are you a a diamond hands? Are you holding on to everything? Or are you like, okay, I got to take a profit? I am a hodler. Yeah. I I very (laughs) rarely, um, I try and keep everything in F. I try not to cash out unless I really have to. Mm. And all the art that I've bought, I've kept. I've hardly sold anything. Um, I find Mm. it really difficult to sell. Me too. Um, So... Yeah, there's probably a few things that I've sold straight away, mm-hmm. but just when I've needed to make a little bit of money. Mm-hmm. Um, but usually I'll hodl. Right. My approach is to just price them so high that I really couldn't complain if they did sell. Yeah, you see, I don't do that because then what might happen is I accidentally sell something when I take my <laughs> eyes off. <laughs> <laughs> what I mean is it would be like, Oh, I sold that for, you know, 99 ETH. Okay. Like, how could you be unhappy about that? Right. Yeah. I suppose. You know, I suppose. So, like, yeah. I put, like, I'm talking like very high prices. Right. Yeah. I have a Sarah Zucker one that I put like a 20 ETH price on, for example. Right. You know, so it's like, okay, if that sells, I can be happy, even though I'll be sad yeah. to see it go. Right. Yeah. So, that's been my approach. So, yeah. Um, maybe we can just kind of wrap things up with like, what are you working on? Like right now, like, what are you, what's grabbing your attention right now in terms of your expression? So I'm working on that piece that I told you, which is a big sculpture, a multi character sculpture. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's about finance and power and the imbalance of power. And it's actually based on an existing artwork, which is something that I'm, that's another thing that I'm pushing myself a bit on at the moment. I've always been, what's the word, really conflicted, I suppose, about um, copyright and commons. And Mm -hmm. I've... When I was doing fanzines, we would just use any artwork to make our fanzines. And I loved that creativity of just being able to use anything and not even thinking about it. And then when I started doing work for Adobe, I had to be really careful about what I used because copyright and stuff. And then um, a couple of friends of mine had artwork used and were ripped off basically, you know, quite badly. 
And then I started thinking, like, what, what's right and what's not right about copyright? And I, I just got to the stage where I thought, I can't actually make a decision about this, so I'm just never going to use anyone else's artwork. I'm just mm. always... Because I saw how negatively it impacted the artists, which mm. I hadn't seen before. And then I really didn't know what, what I thought about it anymore. I could, couldn't really make a proper decision about what was right and what was wrong. So I decided, right, I'm not going to use anyone else's art anymore. And it kind of killed something, I think. Mm. So now I'm starting to look at, well, I'm, I mean, the one that I'm using is public domain, so it's not right. prohibited in any way. But there's something inside me that still goes, you're using someone else's art. It's not all <laughs> yours. You didn't make it. And I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to challenge that and look yeah. at what that means and why that's there. So that's the other I reason. totally hear what you're saying. Because yeah. I sometimes use like, uh, what's it called? You know, these sites like Pixabay or whatever, where you have uh, yeah. photos you can use, you know, and then I'll use those and I'll do stuff with them and I'll corrupt them and I'll, you know, draw on top of them. And, you know, um, but I did, I, I experienced that feeling of conflict that you're talking about as well as I'm doing that. Because I'm like, yeah, this is still kind of derivative, right? Like, it's not fully my own or earlier on when I was making parodies of stuff like where I make say a zombie parody that was like really just taking the photo and drawing with it you know and changing things about it right so then you get you know it does get more a sense of conflict there now clearly they're you know not a replica but there is an element there that it's based on someone else's work which I totally excuse me where I totally you know feel like I can 100% understand that sense of conflict you have yeah I don't know where if it comes from I mean it comes from society obviously as well because I mean mm -hmm. I do think that art is a continual creative process that goes between people as it's not just what I create doesn't just come from me it comes from all the influences that have gone into me whether or not I actually use a drawing or I'm just using what's in my head which is from a drawing that I looked at what difference does that make? You know, I, 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 you can still see the influence of Robert Crumb and Tom of Finland in my artwork. Mm -hmm. And I'm not copying their artwork. It's just, I love what they did. Sure. And that comes through in my hand now. I can't help it. Yes. Yeah, of course. So, but it's your own expression still. Yeah. But what is the difference between that and using someone else's image? Really? Where's the line drawn? That's it's hard to, to give a definitive. It's really line, difficult. Sure. Really yes. difficult. I know that um, you know, Primavera. Primavera de Filippi, I think her name is. She's working on some really interesting projects which are looking at commons and and rights for NFTs. Mm -hmm. And I'm really interested in that whole side of things. And I mean, uh, Sparrow was saying the other day during a meeting, you know. You've got to think about protest art. Like, where where will protest art be if people can't use copyrighted images? Like, um, what was the guy that did the the um? I can't even remember the name of the president of the United States. <laughs> Trump or Biden? No, the one before Trump. The one before Trump, Bush. No. After Bush, Clinton, uh, no. after uh, Obama, no. 
Obama. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. That was, That's yeah, terrible. Honestly, getting getting old <laughs> is so bad. I wouldn't have been able to remember any of them. But... I skipped straight from Trump to Bush just because, you know, they had the same kind of vibe to them. But yeah. Uh, yeah. So who, the guy that did Obey and Obama and all that artwork, mm-hmm. what's his name again? The artist. Oh, I know who you're talking about, but I, I can't remember the name either. Anyway, he, he got like massive lawsuits for using that image. And it's essentially a newspaper image. It's a news image. Right. So if you're going to make protest art, you have to use newsworthy images. So, of course, you know, if all these great big organizations are going to close people down for using their images, then where does that leave protest art? No, that's so, a very valid point. Yeah. Well, you see some of these big companies coming in like Disney and whatever, right? And they're not going to tolerate people riffing on their stuff. Mm. So where you draw that line, I don't know. That's a tricky one, right? Because really here's tricky. the thing, like, you know, a company like say Disney can go to known origin or open sea or super rare and say, Hey, take down that piece. Right. And so you might not even get sued. They might just go straight to that gallery and say, we don't want that piece up issue a DMCA. Right. And that gallery is going to take it down because they don't want legal issues. So even though you might be in the right, you know, in terms of creative expression, um, what are you going to do? You know, file these complaints and go to court and everything over this piece. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's a huge undertaking for an individual to go up against an entity like that, even though you might be completely in the right. It's not something that's logistically possible to fight. Exactly. I mean, that's why copyright is there for big businesses. It's not there for the small people. Right. And I, I was under the misapprehension that copyright was there to protect artists and mm-hmm. that those people that I saw that were really hurt by their stuff getting ripped off would be protected by copyright, but they're not because they no, can't afford they don't to have take the anyone to, to fight court. it either. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it's really tricky. How do you protect people? I mean, maybe it just, we just all need to have a rethink about where the value is in art and who owns it. Like, mm. that's why I, I'm part of the Dada Collective. And what we're doing is, so everyone that creates art on Dada, um, when Dada sell a collection, mm. everyone in the community gets part of that. So it's not mm. like individual artists make huge amounts of money. Right. Everyone makes the same. And that's why I think things like that are really important because if everyone made the same amount of money from selling art, you wouldn't care if someone used your image right? because they're making the same as you. (laughs) Yeah. They're not making any, they're not making millions and you're not making anything. You're both making the same. Someone takes your art and does something with it. You make the same again. And that's why I think a combination of royalties and some kind of split revenue system is a much more interesting way and that's why i work with dada they're Mm -hmm. working on this thing called invisible economy i think you've you know dada don't you Mm -hmm. i you know what i feel once again like it's somewhere in my memory and i'm not accessing data is well obviously i know of the movement but i'm talking about like the particular thing you're in is data where do i find the link to it this is data.nyc but if you go to if you type in If you type in Dada um, Invisible Economy, Mm -hmm. it will come up with a Medium blog article and you could read that. That sort of outlines 
Okay. So Dada dot art. Basically, a collective of artists. Uh, Dada is a platform. It's a platform yeah. where you can create art, but it's also mm-hmm. a collective of artists who are working on this thing called Invisible Economy, which is a okay. new way of interesting doing things. Okay, very cool. And how long have you been involved in that then? Oh, about probably a year or two years, maybe between okay. a year and two years. Okay. We have meetings every week and deliberate on different things and wow. do events. So this is a long-term commitment for you then. It is, yeah. It's it's yeah. it's the I met them through crypto art. I mean they were they yep. most through Sparrow really, blackbox.art. Okay, okay. I met, met them through Sparrow. And I just immediately you know, when you meet a bunch of people and you talk to them and you go, these are my people. I just yeah. totally get what they're doing. I, mm-hmm. I love what they're doing. Um, I feel inspired by it. So that's my main focus is Dada. And mm-hmm. in fact, probably more Dada than my NFTs at the moment. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I'm spending more time doing stuff with them really than I am doing okay. NFTs. But I'm trying what to do you keep think my of NFTs like, going as well. What do you think of Rob Ness's argument where he's like, copy my stuff all you want. I don't care. Like, you know, this is crypto art, right? Like I've made it. It's on the blockchain. Anybody can plainly see this is the, I'm the one who created it. If you want to riff on it, go ahead. Yeah. I, I mean, I kind of feel like that myself. I don't really, because if someone takes my art and does something with it, I'll just create another piece of art. Right. So, I kind so of where does that, like, what I mean is how does that fit in with people being like, quote, ripped off, you know, in this scene? Well, that's the thing in the the people that I know that were ripped off were in the old design right. world. So mm-hmm. they really were ripped off. They lost work. Right. Someone else got mm-hmm. the work mm-hmm. by ripping them off. That doesn't really happen here. It can do. I mean, you do get people like nameless person. <laughs> who is not a person, but a group of people that was pretending to be a person mm-hmm. and didn't have a computer and needed people to give them money so they could buy a computer and make this mm-hmm. amazing art that lots of collectors bought thinking it was genuine mm-hmm. and then found out that it was actually someone else's art that was just basically ripped off and sold. So it happens here as well. It does happen, yes. But it's more about the honesty. I mean, I would imagine that Rob Ness would really appreciate if someone made something but actually pointed to him being the source right Mm -hmm. i i wonder how i would love to ask him actually how he would feel if someone just basically took something and said they'd done it but Mm. didn't change it and didn't reference him at all Mm -hmm. if he would still feel that he was happy with that yeah i know because that's where it gets kind of dicey if someone's just plain ripping your stuff off and saying hey i made this He's a big enough name where he doesn't need to worry about that because everyone right. knows he did it. it the, yes. It's more worrying for small artists like that that situation that I was talking about where mm-hmm. it was a really unknown artist in a really situation where they were struggling. Yep. Someone else came to all of their art and resold it as theirs, changed very little about it and resold it I had a pair, I had an experience with that on NFP. I don't know if you know this, but I had no. a guest on. I'm not even going to name them. I had a guest on that came on, had this whole PFP thing, did really well. They made millions off of it. 
And so I had him on the show and we're talking and we're like, yeah, my wife and I drew these, blah, 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 blah. Oh, great. You know, good story. It was interesting. Very charming. You know, nice conversation. It's about an hour episode, put it out there. And within probably an hour, a couple of people messaged me and said, Hey, you know, this is actually all ripped off from this other artist who created these all on Tumblr about four or five years ago. And they're literally straight up lifts of this other artist's work. Okay. Jeez. So I deleted the episode immediately, took it down and I contacted them and I was like, Hey, like, what's up with this? Right. You know? And they're like, Oh, actually we're talking with them and we're, we're figuring things out, blah, 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 blah. Right. And I talked to the person who was affected by it. Apparently I don't know the whole story now anymore. Cause I kind of, it's not like I continued talking with these people. Um, I was embarrassed that I'd even interviewed them because, you know, I felt like I should have known, but how I could have known, I don't know. But anyway, um they had said they were resolving things with this person and i don't know what that looked like i don't know because it was millions of dollars mm. you know and I mean, it was the kind of thing where it's like wow like that's really bad it's really shitty and the worst thing about that is they lied barefaced to you they said they completely oh, yeah, me and my wife like, drew like, oh, yeah. these my wife did most of the drawing da, 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 da. it's like what <sighs> maybe most of the copying and pasting <laughs> right like it was that yeah. blatant. and they had no qual even afterwards when i when i challenged them about it they had no qualms about it they were just like yeah that's what we did we took their work and we made this from it i'm like you're not like they didn't even deny it they had no sense of like uh guilt about it at all they're like what what's wrong with doing that it was very strange Suppose it is i actually when i was teaching at the university, there were a lot of students there who, like, because I teach on an art, um, a media, digital media arts course at university every now and then, visiting lecture. And a lot of them, I have to teach them about fair use and things like that. And a lot of them, they'll just go on Google and download stuff. And then they, very few of them ca can draw. Mm -hmm. Most of them just download stuff and change stuff. Right. Um, and they were really couldn't understand how it was wrong or how they could get into trouble. Actually, to because be fair, I do see that as a teacher now, even with kids writing, where they'll just copy paste entire paragraphs. They'd be like, here, yeah. I'm done my I'm done my report. It's like this is not your work. Yeah, but they think it is their work because they went and found it on Google. Yeah. So that's to them that's the work what yeah. you mean you actually have to write it or you have to actually come up with an idea yourself there was a class and they look at you where, like yeah. you're nuts i remember there was think one you're student an idiot who, yeah 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 like why wouldn't yeah. this i had a yeah. student one time well it was actually not in my class it was in another teacher's class but i also taught the student and it was uh like an exam where they had to write on some topic i forget what but anyhow it was filled with quotes from posters on the wall in the classroom. <laughs> he literally was taking things that he saw in the classroom that people had said and writing them as if it was like his thoughts. <laughs> and that was almost his entire exam was just consisting of these quotes from posters in the classroom. So the, and, that's the... He didn't have a problem. He's just figuring out this is how you write. But that's the difficulty, isn't it? So where, you know, you've got that case where that was 
blatantly wrong. They lied to you that they didn't create it, but they said they did and they didn't pay the artist. And then you've got people who are taking artwork and using it as a tribute piece and or a protest piece and genuinely adding something new to it mm-hmm. and being open and honest about what they do. They're both using someone else's artwork, but one we're thinking is right and one we're thinking is wrong. Mm-hmm. And that's the problem is do we just think all of it is right or all of it is wrong? Or do we, where, if not, where do we draw the line? And that's the mm-hmm. really difficult thing with this It's a whole gray area. Question. It's very hard to make a, a objective line for that. Yeah. Like if you look at someone like Richard Prince, who just takes a picture from, I forget, was it Time Magazine? And just crops it, makes it really, really big. It's like, there, that's my art. Well, a lot yeah. of people would say, uh, excuse me. Right. But he did change the composition. He changed the message of the work. So you could say, okay, that is artistic expression. But literally, it just cropped the photo. Yeah. The, is the thing okay? is, as well, with the students, you've got to be d- careful because, I mean, Google and Adobe and other stock footage companies have got software that tracks mm-hmm. usage but it doesn't just track the usage of the image it tracks if you looked at that image and what mm-hmm. day you looked at that image and then mm-hmm. if they can prove that you looked at that image on friday which they can and then you mm-hmm. create this artwork on saturday they'll go okay in court she looked at this then she created this and it's but obviously clearly you connect- looked at the image if it's a parody of the image or if it's a protest statement using the image i mean yeah you not have yeah so i don't know it's it's an interesting area that we're going to see more of with this whole movement yeah yeah for sure well hey it's been a pleasure chatting with you and uh i really appreciate you taking the time to to talk with me about all this stuff and uh yeah uh congratulations on all your success and i wish you the best in this year 2022 that we're still fairly early on Thank you so much for having me and thank you for all the great work that you do as well. And thank you. Your art and the podcast, obviously, which I love yeah. listening to. Awesome. Okay. Well, thank you very much. And uh, yeah, take care. Thanks again for listening to the Non Fungible Podcast. See you again soon.